So we're continuing our look at the Old Testament book of Numbers. We're up to uh, Numbers chapter 27, and um, the um, text we're reading today is verses uh, 12 through 23. It's in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Numbers 27, verses 12 through 23. Uh, This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. The Lord said to Moses, go up into this mountain of Abram and see the land that I have given to the people of Israel. When you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. Because you rebelled against my word in the wilderness of Zen when the congregation quarreled, failing to uphold me as holy at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah of Kadesh in the wilderness of Zen. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar, the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. And he shall stand before Eleazar, the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word, they shall go out and at his word, they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and made him stand before Eleazar, the priest and the whole congregation. And he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses. So, um, uh, AJ, go ahead and put my notes up there. So a couple of things to note about this text. So at the beginning of the book of Numbers, there's a census, and there are all these hundreds of thousands of people. Forty years have passed, three are left, right? Moses, Caleb, and Joshua. Now, that, that's important to think about. You should You should think about that for a minute, because... Just imagine what that would have been like for those three men. Year after year, day after day, watching the generation that had come out of Egypt pass away and be buried there in the wilderness. Okay? That's significant. That, that, that's, that, that's, that's a big thing. I also think about it this way as well, that those people that are gathered there in the plains of Moab are preparing to go into the promised land uh, none of them have known anything other than camping, right, moving, and Moses as their leader. And all of that's about to change. All of that's about to change. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a dramatic, uh, uh, dramatic transition. And so one of the themes that is going to run through the rest of this book and what's going to happen here is that transition is happening. And God is preparing his people for the time when Moses will no longer be their leader, right? And so as this new generation prepares to enter the land, uh, there are going to be more transitions. The transition of Moses by death is repeated four times. So four times between this point in the story and the end of the book of Deuteronomy, God is going to say to his people, Moses, is, you know, you're going to go up on the mountain and you're going to die. Four times. Four times he says that. And the reason, I mean, and that matters, right? Because they, they need, they, they need to be prepared for the change that's coming. And God needs to keep telling them that 
because they're they're unprepared otherwise for 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 that to happen. So so one of the things that is true of human beings is we say we like a lot of change, but most of us struggle with transitions, don't we? Transition is hard because we like typically we kind of organize our lives and things so that we get things set up the way we want them to be moving forward. And then lo and behold, something happens to change all that. And it becomes very difficult for us. Right. So my wife teaches first grade. She's taught first grade for a long time. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, some of the kids, uh, uh, well, uh, a number of the kids that she's taught first grade have graduated from college. They're in graduate school. She started teaching first grade when she was 10. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, one of the things that you figure out about first grade teachers is they are rock stars. And the way you know that is, is when you're out and about and one of the kids sees Mrs. Shelby. It is like. And they're all over, right? So one of the things that happens when you're six is first grade lasts about 21 years. You know that, right? Right? Isn't that true? You know, when, when you're little, you know, time takes forever to go, right? So, so when you come to the end of first grade and you look at Mrs. Shelby, you think, this is the only teacher that I can remember. Why, I was... Five and a half when I started in this class, and now I'm over six, and this this is all I've known. I'm leaving. So on the one hand, they're pumped that they don't have to read or obey or do anything like that anymore. But on the other hand, they're scared because what's school going to be like without Mrs. Shelby? So she trains them. To, she transitions them. Friday was their last day of class, and so there was a little party out at Deep Run Park for all the first grade, and we went out there. And so we get out of the car, and, of course, here they come. You know, Mrs. Shelby, you know, so um, a little little boy runs up, and she says, Ashton, what are you? I am a rising second grader. (laughs) Every one of the kids that came up to us, what are you? I am a rising second grader. That's important. That's loving them, right? That seems silly and seems kind of funny, but that's great preparation for the transition that's happening, right? They can't think of themselves as first graders anymore, and they can't think of themselves as only being in Mrs. Shelby's class because now they are rising second graders. Things are changing. But God is in the second grade, Okay, Jesus is there just as much as he was in the first grade. And they 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 need they need to know that and they they need to understand that and they they need to be able to make this this transition. Well, that's the same thing that's happening here uh, in uh, uh, this story. God is going to go go over this over and over and over again for the sake of the people, because the, the, the people themselves are unprepared and unaware of what life is going to be like without Moses. Because imagine, uh, uh, Moses uh, was unique in all of the people uh, that, that, that served God. Moses went in and out and spoke face-to-face with God. Remember that? Moses received the Ten Commandments. I mean, he had, he's a unique 
relationship. And God commends him by saying that there's, there's nobody else like Moses. And that in all of that, he was a humble man, right? No one was as humble as he was. And so, as you think about this, this is a, this is a, a, a dynamic, this is a, a, an incredible transition that is about to, to break upon the people of God. And so God has to prepare his people repeatedly for, for this to happen. And so the mercy of God is demonstrated over and over and over again in this by preparing them for this. And that's, that's a great thing for us to think about. Listen, life changes. Things change. Relationships change. People change. Uh, leadership comes and goes. But, but God doesn't change in his determination to bless his people, to love his people, to care for them, to provide for them, and to, to complete his purpose and his mission that he has for them. And so the, the, the fact is, sometimes we think that there are people who are indispensable. No one, no human being, no human being is in, indispensable to the work of God. Now, that, that may be a bitter pill for some of you, right? That only you can do what you can do. Well, there's probably a million that can do what you can do and might even do it better. That's not to make you feel bad, you know? That's to marvel in the grace of God and the multiplicity of the people that he raises up. Can we, can we grieve this loss? Yes. But one of the, one of the greatest passages in the Bible occurs in the book of Joshua where God says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now get up and go. <laughs> right? So, so the, the, the fact is, as, as we see this and as we understand this, God is being very gracious and merciful and preparing his people for this. But at the same time, the, the mission and the purpose to get them to the promised land and to get them established and settled there for them to, to inherit what he had promised their ancestors is on track. Next slide. So a couple of things to note about this. Now, now one of the things that, that, that as we look at this text, uh, it may seem like, wow, God is, is, is being pretty harsh because I... Well, let's just read what he says. Go up into this mountain of Abiram and see the land that I've given to the people of Israel. When you've seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was, because you rebelled against my word in the wilderness of Zin when the congregation quarreled, failing to uphold me as holy at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah, of Kadesh, in the, in the wilderness of Zin. So, you know, what a, what a bummer. Right. I mean, what what a terrible thing uh, to, to to happen here. You know, God is God is holding Moses accountable. And and we probably we, we read that that story about the waters of Meribah months ago. Right. And so uh, doesn't it seem odd? Remember, uh, the people are complaining and they don't have any water. And God says to Moses, go out and speak to the rock. And the water is going to come out of the rock. And Moses is mad at the people. He's frustrated. And he's angry with God. And he takes his stick and he hits the rock instead. And God's holding him accountable all these years later for that. Now, now that may seem harsh to us. That may seem uh, 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 kind of, uh, you know, like in, in, inappropriate in, in some ways that God would do that. What can he let that slide? I mean, he gave them water anyway, and, and the people were jerks, and uh, they, were, uh, uh, they, they drove Moses to do this. So, so you know, let's, let's cut Moses some slack. But you see, the problem with that is one of the things that, that, that we miss when we think about this is 
Moses had one primary job. And his primary job was to speak for God to the people. That his job was as a mediator between God and the people. And what happens when he takes the word of God and and what God tells him to do and what God tells him to say, and he does what he wants to do instead of what God called him to do. That's a problem. That's a problem. That that undercuts uh, that's that's not just a sin in many ways. That's a dramatic sin in the fact that it undercuts uh, uh, the very authority of God. It ultimately, I'm sure, undercut Moses authority in some ways in the eyes of the people. And it undercut in some other ways the authority of the word of God itself. And so God can't have that. Right. And so he takes Moses up there and he says, I want you to see the land. But you're gonna, you're, you're gonna be buried. You're gonna, you're gonna stay here. You're gonna stay on this side of the Jordan, uh, and you're not gonna go. And this is the reason why. Now, and maybe you think, well, you know, okay, I, I get that, but that's even harsher that God would take him up to the mountain and show him the promised land and say, see that? You're not gonna get there. That might seem even worse. But, but my thinking about that is I don't think that that's, that's, that's harsh uh, because I think the, the fact of the matter is what God is saying to Moses is, I'm going to complete the task. I'm going to see the people through. Uh, they will get to the promised land. I want you to see how great it is. You will be able to rest easy knowing that that's going to happen, that they're going to get there, and that I will be faithful to my promise. I will be faithful to deliver them. I am going to get them there. Now, we, we read this and we think, well, you know, that's, that's, that's a very sobering thing. Well, it should be a sobering thing. Um, and, and let me just be clear about this. You know, I look into the room, and I know almost all of you, and there are some great saints in this room, really great saints, faithful, generous, awesome people. And I got to tell you, none of you are as good as Moses. No Moses is in here. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. Um, and God held uh, Moses accountable. Right? So that should sober us up uh, a little bit. Right? That should, that should create within us an understanding and a need as we think about this for the grace of God in our lives. Right? And for, for the mercy of God. So that, so that if we are simply depending upon our ability to do things... Our ability to to somehow or other earn God's uh, favor or presence in our lives that that something else is going to have to happen. God's going to have to intervene in grace and mercy on our behalf. Right. So that's that's a that's a pretty important place for us to go. And one of the things before you take up an offense for Moses in, in the story, one of the things that you have to see about it is, is that Moses does not argue. Moses does not defend. Moses accepts the judgment of God as just, the goodness of God as good, the love of God as love, and he, he, he does not, he doesn't argue and he doesn't defend himself. Now, now here's the, here's the thing. I, I thought about this this week and I, I, I thought about Moses a little bit and I, I thought, you know, how much time and energy in a given week do I spend in defense? Not defending myself to other people, but in my mind, preparing a defense, preparing the ability to say, well, you know, this is 
this this would have happened to you if it if and and and, and I you know uh, I have an excuse and my favorite defense is blaming. I love to blame. You know what blame blaming is the best. You know you know why it's the best. It's the best because uh, I get to shift uh, responsibility off of me onto someone else, and I get to throw you under the bus. You know. That's that's the best defense, you know. They did it, and they should be they should get full blame and, and and should get this. But but Moses doesn't say, "Hey God, you know those people that you brought me to uh, uh, to deliver, uh, those people that you've given to me, they made me do this. Why are you holding me accountable for what they made me do?" Now Moses speaks of the people, but not in defense of himself but in defense of them. As Moses looks out and he sees the promised land, he looks back and he sees the people of God and he says, okay, if you're going to take me out, what about them? Who's going to care for them? Who's going to lead them? Who's going to shepherd them? Who is going to see to it that they get where they need to go? Lord, you need to provide a shepherd for your people. Otherwise, they will be like sheep without a shepherd, right? That's what Moses is thinking. Now that is profound. You know, I think, I think for many of us to, to, uh, to find ourselves in a situation where, where we, we're being held accountable and that accountability would remove us from a position of leadership and authority, but our only concern is for the people to be led and cared for. That's dramatic. That is a that is a powerful picture of the work and the maturity uh, that God has worked in this man's life. And and that that should remind you this morning of someone else. Right. Uh, the greater mediator, even Jesus Christ, who, as he looked at his people and said, I, you know, he the people looked like sheep without a shepherd and and that we should pray that the people would be led and that they would have a shepherd. Listen, there's a thought among many of you. Um, that um, you can, uh, all you need to follow Jesus is Jesus and your Bible. And you don't need anybody. You don't need any leadership. You don't need any shepherding. You can do it just fine by yourself. Because, you you know, frankly, that's enough. And there are no leaders worthy of you. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, I think that's that's probably pretty accurate. You know, one of the things we like to say often is that we have a crisis of leadership. And, you know, God knows we we need better leaders. But I would also submit to you that we need better followers. Right. Um, One of the things that I think is so ironic and profound when we lay hands on our elders and deacons is uh, that they promise subjection to one another in the Lord, right? They will submit to one another. Um, the, the fact for us today uh, is that uh, God desires for his people to be sheep in a flock shepherded, right? Uh, and so, so as we... 
as we think about that, what, what is, as, as Moses looks at the people, he recognizes that God is, is for them and he, that he is with them, but that he must also supply for them some sort of human leadership, right, to, to see to it that they can get to the promised land. Now, Joshua is not going to be Moses. He's not going to speak to God directly. He's going to have to go through Eleazar, the priest, but he's God's man. And so what does what does Moses do is he elevates him in front of the people. He lays his hands on him so that everybody can see this is God's plan. This is how God has designed it. And, and now going forward, as we get ready to go into the promised land, Joshua will be our leader. Next slide. Um, so a couple of pointers to, to the gospel in this story that are that are worth our time and energy. You know, in the, it's, it's a profound thing for us to think about the role of mountains in the story in the Bible, right? Probably something you didn't think very much about. Uh, Mo, God, uh, Moses goes up to the mountain to get to speak to God, to get the Ten Commandments. God takes him up to a mountain so that he can see the promised land. Uh, one day, uh, Moses will be on a mountain some centuries later, Speaking with Jesus Christ, the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, and someday Jesus Christ himself will be on a hill, a mountain outside of the, the, uh, the city uh, uh, of Jerusalem, uh, exercising his office as the mediator, the atoning sacrifice for his people. It's a pretty profound thing to think about. And so as we see Moses and his heart for his people and we we see Moses and his willingness to uh, uh, accept the judgment of God upon himself, uh, that's that's worth that's worth thinking a little bit about and pointing us to Jesus Christ. But the one difference on this mountain as Moses prepares to die and the, the, the mountain that Jesus died upon is that Moses cannot atone for the people's sin. Moses cannot atone for his own sin. Someone else must do that. And Jesus Christ will do that for Moses and for the people some millennia later. Shepherds. We all need shepherds. And um, I, I think uh, it is it's hard for us to hear and to think about that because we, we either tend to idolize, literally idolize, literally worship uh, our leaders and our shepherds, or we hate them. Right. Uh, but in God's economy, what we what we see is that that God cares for us and his his care and his direction is is mediated to us through shepherds, through through the people that he sets up to, to lead and to care and and to guide and direct us. And we all need that. Jesus Christ looked at his people and he said his people needed a shepherd. And that he told us that he was the good shepherd and the good shepherd was demonstrated to us in his grace and his mercy by laying down his life for the sheep. Thirdly, death. You know, one of the things uh, we don't uh, think enough about is uh, uh, the way God works and the way he leads uh, through and over and uh, by death. Right. Um, we're a death denying culture. Uh, we don't like to think very much about that. And so so sometimes it, we can't imagine that if some one of us were to die, that the purpose of God could keep going on. And yet uh, we see it time and again and again in the scriptures that that, that God uh, raises up leaders for a particular period of time in a particular season, and then he moves them on. Here's the thing. We're all getting older. 
Um, and uh, as we get older uh, and as we age, uh, we need to pray that God would continue to use the aging shepherds appropriately and that he would raise up new and younger shepherds as well. That's an important part of the work in which, which God does. And then lastly, pastoral concern. You know, it is one of the things that is most profound about leadership, and one of the ways that you can tell uh, of effective leaders is their overarching concern is for the people that they lead so that they will uh, live and uh, actually um, enjoy the blessings of the purpose and the mission that God has for them. Um, I have I have a son who is in the Army, and um, uh, one of the things that uh, he is terrified about is that uh, peace is going to break out before he gets to really be a soldier somewhere, like an idiot. Right? Uh, or, or worse yet, that he'll get promoted to a point where he won't even be able, he'll be somewhere where things are going on, but he'll be promoted so much that he won't get to shoot his gun. Your country's defense is in the hands of people like this, right? So, because the more important the leader, the less likely you are to be in harm's way. Except if you're Jesus. Right? Jesus exercises his leadership and his shepherding concern by putting himself in harm's way for the sake of his people, right? And so when Moses hears the word that he will be separated from the promised land, that he'll die alone on the top of that mountain, what's his concern? His concern is for the people. When Jesus Christ is dying on the cross, One of the ways that we see dramatic evidences of the grace and the power of God in him is his concern for those who are there. He he is concerned for his mother and he provides for her care going forward after his death. He is concerned for uh, the the, the unknowing rebellion that the people are, are exercising by laying their hands on him. Right. And so in all of this, uh, as we. As we see that, we see a profound thing that's true of leaders, that when leaders are suffering and when leaders are struggling, where does, what is their concern? Well, we tend to think that our concern would be for ourselves, but what we see here in Moses and ultimately in Jesus Christ is that what happens in their suffering is their concern is for their people. This is the God that we are talking about here in the Scriptures who loves his people enough to be separated, to be set apart, to suffer for them. And so, and he does that uh, because of his concern and his heart for people like us who need a shepherd who will lay down his life for his sheep. You see, 